You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Welcome into the ROTV podcast. I am John Venerable, otherwise known as Johnny Touchdown, uh, sans my co-host Blake Murphy. We're doing something a little bit different this week. I'm fortunate to be joined by Bo Brock of the Locked On Podcast. Bo, how are you doing uh, this morning? I'm riding the Steve Keim heater right now. I'm on the wave. I'm feeling the momentum, feeling the flow, excited to talk some Cardinals football with another podcast that's is, if not more well-regarded than my own over at the Locked On Network. Uh, well, we appreciate you having um, you know us on your podcast, and we're flipping uh, the script here and having you and um, your buddy Clancy on the ROTB podcast this week. And and for those who do not know about your podcast or your background, Bo, would you fill us in? Yeah, man. I mean, I was, I've was i been covering the Arizona Cardinals for better part of a decade, working over at Extra Sports, turned Fox Sports 910, uh, doing the Locked On AZ Cards podcast with Clancy. Unfortunately, I don't know how I've survived this many years working <laughs> alongside that madman with those fiery takes. But uh, we've been doing it, you know, consistently now for what two and a half years, and it's been a blast. And to see where the team is now compared to where it was, you know, way back when. I mean, we we really we started to think about where we were in the Arizona Cardinals solution at quarterback at one point with Sam Bradford, and now they've got Kyler Yikes. Murray and his potential and this offense's potential. Uh, man, it is so exciting, and, and you know, on a daily basis, we get to kind of celebrate that. And then, kind of look forward to what could be the next big move for this organization. We're, you know, on a daily basis, we're we're trying to decipher between Werfs, Wills, Becton, Andrew Thomas, this talented offensive tackle crop at, at number eight, or is it an impact defender? And it's just, it's better. You know, we talked about better times are, are ahead at this point last year, and and now we're in it. And we're we're really feeling the flow. And uh, it's just an exciting time to just be around the Red Sea and and and, and talking Cardinals football. Well, absolutely, Bone. We we appreciate you hopping on. I'm personally a big fan of your guys' work and and listen to you guys pretty consistently. So it's a thrill for me to get you guys on our podcast on our media here on the ROTB podcast. And let's let's jump right into that and the options that that the Arizona Cardinals face at pick eight. Um, it changes every day, seemingly every mock draft. Uh, what you hear from national outlets, local outlets, the Cardinals are targeting X position. Maybe they're moving, looking to move down. If you were Steve Kime picking eighth overall as of today, and we're recording this on April 6th, what would you do at pick eight? You're taking the best offensive tackle that you've evaluated between you and your scouts and who you're convicted is going to be an impact maker on this team. Now, for me to go out on a limb and try to decipher who's the most talented tackle, that's where it gets a little dicey. And I think that's maybe where it's gotten dicey in his on his resume as far as Steve Kime and his ability to make that decision. But uh, you know, is it is it Tristan Wirfs, who a kid who you'll fall in love with if you read the write up on him in ESPN.com, which I think came out last week, where he's just this 
incredible athlete. You know, of course, the size, the athleticism is there. He's he's got a a, a a very diverse background of swimming and playing baseball and wrestling and playing football at just such a high level. And you mentioned this on our podcast, uh, Johnny. I think it's just such a, an important uh, thing to take away for Werfs is that Iowa is just an absolute offensive line tackle factory. Not even at the tackle position. Brendan Scherf is a perennial Pro Bowl offensive guard for Washington. And then you've got uh, just an incredible just group. Was it 17 players? Is that the number I saw since Kirk Ferentz took over uh, that program uh, that have been drafted in the first round from the offensive line position? And and it's look, you can't you can't deny if they took Tristan Wirfs eighth overall, I'm not going to have a problem with it. But then again, if they're not if they're taking Jedrick Wills with the eighth overall pick, I mean, here's an absolute bulldozer. You know, I know he's a little bit smaller than Werfs. He's what six four, I believe, and he's three hundred and twelve yep. pounds. But he's he's his game is just tailor made for the NFL. Uh, and and the fact that he played right tackle the last couple of seasons at Bama uh, because Tua is a left handed quarterback, that's his blind side. I think that gives him a little bit of an advantage of Werfs, who was playing left tackle last season. But it, it, you've mentioned, you've pointed out that he's got he's got the versatility as well. And then you've just got the prospect, right? You've got the raw prospect in Mackay Becton um, that he he's like a Game of Thrones character for the most part. I mean, he, he's, he's <laughs> his size, his athleticism, the fact that he chucked in just over five seconds in the forty yard dash. That's intriguing. But I think that's where you're looking more of a potential of a knee deep. 2.0 uh, coming from Louisville, you know, playing in the ACC, not the SEC or the Big Ten. Um, you know, I, I think Mackay Becton's probably got more question marks than the other two prospects, and then Andrew Thomas, I think, is a, is a, is a safe bet for you know either tied for third or fourth. I, I think the Cardinals absolutely have to take that offensive line position just because no longer do the days of Jared Valdir and Mike Upati hitting the free agent market exist. You're really taking a risk on guys who have questionable backgrounds. I mean, the I mean, we look at DJ Humphreys getting three years, forty five million. Uh, it, it gets riskier than that sometimes. We saw Jack Conklin get a big deal from the Browns. We saw guys, you know, we've even seen within the Cardinals organization Justin Pugh get big money and then not exactly produce the results you want. Talented offensive linemen very rarely hit the free agent market. And Steve Kime has an opportunity to bolster a position that otherwise is going to be the status quo going forward that surrendered 48 sacks to Kyler Murray and 50 sacks overall last year. It's got to be a position that they improve on between now and the beginning of the regular season. As much as it's 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 kind of tantalizing to look at some of these defenders that are available because of the prospect of three quarterbacks going before the Cardinals picked eighth overall. Yeah, you mentioned Jack Conklin. You talk about him not even having his fifth-year option picked up, and suddenly he's the bell of the ball come free agency. I think that's what you mean when you talk about supply and demand on the offensive line. If you lock one in and you hit on one, I should say, in the draft, those guys don't reach the market, similar to quarterback. But you mentioned defense just now, and, and let's pivot to that side of the football. And let's assume that the Cardinals, for whatever reason, maybe it's an internal belief in Justin Murray. Maybe they think they can get one later on. Let's say that they're going to go defense. They're going to address that defense that was, what, 31st, 32nd ranked in so many categories. And I know a lot of the fans are clamoring for defense based on what the offense was doing at the tail end of 2019. In your opinion, who is the ideal candidate for 
pick eighth. If you if you could pick one realistic player for them to take defensively at pick eight, who would you go with? Just because we've seen Okuda be sharpied in just as well as uh, you know Joe Burrow and Chase Young, I'm going to take him off the board. I just don't think he makes it past you know three or four. But Jeffrey Simmons is, is people still just don't know. Maybe it's because he's he's got the position versatility. Uh, he, he's not you know your traditional linebacker, and but he can play that you know a little bit of safety. He, he's just an absolute freak. If, if he's available, if something happens, if the stars align and an athlete like Jeffrey Simmons is available for the Arizona Cardinals at eighth, I think that they do whatever it is. However, the quickest way for them to put their pick in, they take Simmons. You know, I, Skype, he, Zoom. He, he, Skype, <laughs> Zoom. Is it AOL Instant Messenger? I don't know what the NFL is doing any longer, but they they absolutely do that and they take a player like Simmons because I think he's he fits the mo- where the the future of the NFL and playing the defensive side of the football are going where they're lose they're they're losing positions and they're just putting athletes out there and I think Simmons is going to lead the charge along with guys like Derwin James and I I just think that that would be a way for Steve Kime to kind of stay ahead of the curve a little bit and, and get an athlete like that but does does he have he he doesn't lack question marks that's for sure uh, but I think Simmons is is probably the next bet bet outside of Chase Young and Jeffrey Okuda, two talented Ohio State players uh, on the defensive side of the football in this draft. I, I just think that that's what they could do and potentially upgrade, and he would immediately uh, just cause a problem for opposing offenses and trying to keep up with where their talented defenders are. Because then you got to deal with Chandler Jones up front. And rushing the passer, you got Patrick Peterson in defensive secondary, and then you don't know where Jeffrey Simmons is, and he addresses a big need as far as covering tight ends, where the Cardinals surrendered 16 touchdowns to that position in 2019. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. He legitimizes their front seven. Yeah. They don't outside of Chandler Jones, they don't have anybody that scares anybody defensively. Uh, and if he co- becomes the next Carlos Dansby for the next 10 years, that's that's a great get, even though Carlos Dansby has never made a Pro Bowl. He's a very similar player in terms of their 6'5", they're lengthy, they can do it all, rush the quarterback, defend the pass. Uh, I think he'd be a home run pick as well, as much as I would like to lock in on a tackle. If that's my um, you know blue ribbon prospect that I feel like can change the, the fate of this defense, you know, I'm all for it. Now let's let's talk about another prospect that I think is very polarizing for a couple different reasons. That has been a trendy mock pick to the Cardinals, and that being Auburn defensive tackle Derek Brown. Now, we've talked about it on, on your podcast, Bo, but I want to get your opinion here. What are your concerns about taking a player like that, eighth overall, who did not test particularly well, and there could be just some limitations with him as a player? Yeah, I think that when you're sitting there and you've got the opportunity to take, you know, and we Steve Kime notoriously says he does this, so you can kind of maybe – question whether he does or not takes the best player available in each and every draft as he as he says he does is is where does Derek Brown fit if if three quarterbacks are going off the board and then you've got you know five prospects uh between the Cardinals and, and one of those top five players does does Derek Brown fit in there and, and when you find those top prospects in this draft you know you start looking at them and you can start nitpicking and you can start looking for red flags and I think Derek Brown you know, outside of being a, an upstanding individual who was a leader on that Auburn team and showed just made strides in his last season there, uh, working for playing for War Eagle, is he, he has red flags as far as you know his motor. He has red flags as far as uh, y- you mentioned the combine. I think that he just presents more red flags already than maybe some of these potential elite defenders offer you, or maybe even put in the offensive tackle group that than those players offer you just right off the bat. 
And I feel like as we talk about Arizona Cardinals fans and how they feel burned some you know from past drafts before, you know, Robert Kimdichie, that bad taste is still left in my mouth. You know, I, I just don't I haven't seen them successfully, you know, find that player in the interior of that defense. And it's a tough position to evaluate. Uh very rarely are are the guys gonna if ever gonna turn into the the Aaron Donalds of the world. But can you find a guy that can be like a Geno Atkins who was played at a very high level a couple of years ago? That that might be worth the risk. But when there's player players there that are, are more maybe a, a more of a sure thing, I think that that's even though I love turning on YouTube and watching Derek Brown go to work and make some open field tackles that you rarely see from a man his size make. I, I just I don't I don't think that the Arizona Cardinals would be. I don't think that's their best bet. That's the thing I'll say about Derek Brown. Yeah, I think it's very fair criticism. It's criticisms that I share. I just, I don't think in a draft this heavy with with positions of need for this franchise, you can afford to take a Derek Brown who, in my opinion, is not considered a top 10 ta- talent. I don't think he's Quinn and Williams, and Quinn and Williams didn't do much last year. So wh- where would you put him, you know, historically, I think he's more of a, of a mid-teens kind of pick. Um, and I think certain teams would love to be able to get him at that point, but just to see so many outlets mocking him to the Cardinals, I think is uh, it's unfortunate, but at the same time, it kind of fits Steve Kine's narrow mindset in terms of scouting, and that's where I want to pivot to you next, Bo, is you know, we've seen, seen Kime hopefully turn a corner a little bit last year, relying more on analytics, leaving Josh Rosen behind, moving on to Kyler Murray. Do you have hope that Kime as a scout is evolving, is becoming more and more of what the league is trending toward? You mentioned positionalist players, athletes that can kind of do it all. Or do you, are you still concerned that he boxes himself as an old school football guy where we're just going to take type A defensive lineman, type A defensive tackle, and they're going to do one thing. They're going to rush the passer. They're going to run stuff, whatever. Um, do you think he's evolved as a GM? That's that's such a that's a tough question for me to answer. I mean, I I know that we've seen Steve Kime rebound from a tough couple of years, and you know the proof that Steve Kime is a good general manager are right there in the first three seasons with him at GM. It seemed like he kind of had the Midas touch early on and, and took this team that was floundering for a while until he took over for Rod Graves in thirteen. Despite missing on Jonathan Cooper in the draft, I mean he. He, he succeeded. They had double-digit wins for three consecutive years, and Bruce Arians was a huge part of that, if not you know the main part. Uh, but Steve Kime showed that he could make the correct and was the correct decision maker and architect for this team, and then just kind of lost it. And I think he maybe turned his uh, you know his head to a couple of as you mentioned maybe analytics. He had his head buried in the sand as far as the evolution of the NFL. And made the wrong decisions and brought on some old school type guys to fit his mindset, like Mike McCoy, and that was just disastrous. And the team is still making up for that, but now they're kind of uh, expediting that process, and it's exciting. But uh, you know, to say that I don't, I'm not burned and I and, and that I'm completely pivoting back onto Team Kime, no, not not by any stretch. But I, I hope that Steve Kime, in, in some way in his scouting room and when they're sitting in the Cardinals war room for the draft that he's he's giving way and he's delegating to people in his brain trust that are kind of up to date and have a different maybe outlook 
on on scouting and, and who to select and how to keep this team evolving in, in, in the current state of the NFL and, and moving forward because we saw what it looks like when it's just Steve Kime making decisions. After B.A. left, uh, he completely fell flat on his face. I mean, he, he, he gave a lot of money to Sam Bradford. He brought in guys like Steve Wilkes and Mike McCoy to make the calls and the strategy in this organization, and they were just far behind. They were in the Jurassic era when the rest of the league was playing, you know, they're up in uh, part of Space Force. It, it's it's out of control. Uh, but now the team has made some strides, as I mentioned. And uh, I, I, it's not completely all 100% in unkind, but I think it, the, the one thing I'd like to see him continue to shy away from are these FCS school players and continue to look yes. at maybe some big-time program. Just take one draft where you take guys out of some Power 5 schools. Just go one draft. Just stay away from it. You're going to, trust me, you're going to find those FCS guys. They're going to be undrafted guys. You can still have your opportunity at them. But... <laughs> Don't waste a third-round pick. Don't waste a pick on a guy that's not even dra- uh, invited to the combine. That you know, and Chad Williams at a Grambling State that was just a complete dud. Don't do that any longer. You know, uh, as much as I think that they can, they they can get more out of uh, Andy Isabella in, in that wide receiver class from last year. But it, it I, I, these redshirt classes, these these picks that you know. We talk about him maybe not looking at versatile players. When he has looked at versatile players, Dayon Buchanan was his success, but what was his ultimate impact on this team? He still hasn't selected a pro bowler in the first round during his tenure. Uh, he, he's got to change all that. Uh, he still doesn't have the resume that would tell me, hey, I, I will, without a shadow, a shadow of a doubt, buy into what you're selling me. Yeah, great point, and especially with regard to targeting Power 5 impact players, whether it's in Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, there's a reason these guys are so highly rated is because they produce at the next level. I mean, when's the last time an Ohio State defender just outright busted, but the Cardinals, for whatever reason, get so fixated on these FCS or low-tier Division I programs like a Temple or Washington State that they're thinking to themselves, okay, we can make this guy into a pro bowler, into an all-pro, and you get the Andy Isabellas, you get the those kind of players with minimal impact. And sometimes you just have to go with, with, with the safer choice, with the higher upside for a reason. Don't try to outthink the room. So so great point there. And I want to pivot to one of Kimes' more polarizing hirings, and that being Vance Joseph, opting to keep him under contract with the Cardinals come year two. The Cardinals, I think, are reaping some benefits of that now, considering the lack of offseason programming they're going to have with the team. But just talk about Joseph being around, your expectations for him, and whether or not you would have moved off of him after last year. I just think continuity was was key going from one year to the next. You saw the strides that you needed to see from the offense from 2018 to 2019. This was a bottom-of-the-barrel offense, and they went from a putrid 14 points per game to nearly, what was it, almost 23 points per game with a rookie signal caller, first-year play caller at this level in Cliff Kingsbury, and you saw what you needed to from the offense. We, I think we were all a little bit surprised by how bad the defense was, especially in the first, what, 10 games of this season. It was just, I mean, when you look at the overall statistics, Kyler Murray was coming out after a scoring drive, what, 43% of the time. I mean, nearly half the time, Kyler Murray is coming out there chasing points. And things need to change on the defensive side of the football. But I didn't think that necessarily merited an exit for Vance Joseph. Although Vance Joseph hasn't proven to us that he deserves to stay. I mean, his last couple years in 
in Denver were a disaster. And even when you look at his resume before even getting the head coaching job, it wasn't that impressive. What he did in one year in Miami, his most impressive, uh, I guess, part of his resume was what he was able to do in Cincinnati in the defensive secondary and how opportunistic they were. But we didn't even see that last year. We saw a, a defense that forced what tied for the league least uh, interceptions with seven that's got to change. Um, and it could be, you know, that they're getting a lack of pressure up front despite getting 19 sacks from run player. But after Chandler Jones's production, it falls off a cliff. Uh, you're maybe seeing too much, uh, you know, I guess success from opposing offenses getting to the second part of that defense. And guys like Jordan Hicks and Buda Becker, sure, their tackle numbers are impressive. But that's never good when they're that high in, in both those players, what, two and three in the NFL and total tackles. So the defense needs to take to needs to develop. There were a lot of young players there. Byron Murphy, all those young members of the defensive secondary. I know it's maybe far fetched to expect them to take a big giant leap in the second year, uh, but they're going to have to. And if they don't, that then that should mean an early exit for Vance Joseph. But I think the continuity and going from you know James Betcher to Al Holcomb from the forty three from the thirty four to the forty three back to the thirty four. 34 is the right defense, and we'll give Vance Joseph a pass for last year, especially since Patrick Peterson was not playing the entire season due to the you know, self-inflicted wound of the PED violation. But uh, it, he's going to have to produce results. They were a little bit better at the end of last year, but they need to continue that uh, going into this next season. He, he's been given some you know some extra tools here. I mean, as far as Jordan Phillips and uh, Devon Kennard and Devondre Campbell, I mean, they're not perennial pro bowlers by any stretch of the imagination, but they're upgrades at positions that were filled by guys who maybe had no business playing the you know the type of downs that they did in 2019. Yeah, I think I think it's fair to have those expectations of improvement because re- realistically, where can they go but up? And even if they don't spend the eighth overall pick on the defender, I think that we can assume they're going to get help in other avenues of the draft, third round, fourth round, what have you. And I look at certain players like Jalen Thompson going into his second year, Byron Murphy, maybe you get contributions from Zach Allen. Um, I think it's what he's going to do with those young players. Can he elevate those players into, you know, competent starting status? And that'll be very telling. Somebody who doesn't um, need to elevate to competent, but maybe a Pro Bowl level this coming season is that of Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray, of course, Offensive Rookie of the Year a year ago. Coming into year two, there have been national expectations of the type of MVP caliber run that we've seen from Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes. You add in Kenyon Drake for a full season, now DeAndre Hopkins, potentially the eighth overall pick spin on an offensive lineman. Bo, I know nationally it's MVP or bust in certain areas. What are your expectations for Kyler Murray come year two? Oh, they're, they're so heavy these days because of the success of some of these past quarterbacks. I mean, you mentioned, uh, I don't know if you mentioned him, but I mean, we've seen it there with Jared Goff and, of course, Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz in his second season made a huge leap going from a pretty pedestrian rookie year coming out of North Dakota State second overall and leading the Philadelphia Eagles to an 11-2 record before bowing out with a torn ACL. He had 33 touchdowns to seven interceptions. That's MVP caliber there. That that might be too high of expectations. Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, those second seasons by those two quarterbacks in particular, those expectations, those are MVP performances. They want they took home the hardware this season. Kyler Murray has done nothing but produce the last two seasons, he's brought home the hardware. He brought home the Heisman. He brought home the 2019 NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year. 
am I stupid for saying not to bet on him? I, I think he's going to have a great second season. I think he's poised to follow in the footsteps of Goff, of Mahomes, of Jackson, of uh, you know Trubisky and Wentz. You know, shockingly enough, Trubisky had a solid second season. Deshaun Watson. Uh, those guys all had incredible years. He's going to probably do better than the guy he succeeded over at Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield in his second season. But, man, I mean, I, I don't think Kyler Murray is going to statistically wow you. He didn't wow me as much as I thought he was in his rookie season. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm going to temper the expectations as far as total statistics, but I still think he's going to get it done enough where we're going to say, okay, the Cardinals still made the right decision in moving off of Josh Rosen. I think he he improves on his touchdown total, of course. I think he runs the football a little bit more in his second season, maybe a little bit more comfortable doing that. Um, But I I just don't – I think I'm going to err on the side of just – and this is not shocking, Johnny. He's not going to be Mahomes or Lamar Jackson. Is that me not going out on a limb at all? But, I mean, it's just – that those guys are the exceptions, not the rule. He's he's poised for a big year. I see those numbers increasing. I see a little bit more consistency from him in game in and game out. And this offense is going to be an absolute force to deal with, uh, just as a whole. I mean, Kenyon Drake really adding to that top ten, them becoming a top ten rushing team is so huge, and that balance is so important. Him and Kyler Murray running the football is, just adds another dynamic to things. Uh, and then De- DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, th- they just have so many weapons that, some, you know, unlike some of those other cases, Kyler might even get overshadowed by some of the other stars on this this offense. Not overall, but you are going to be watching a Cardinals game and like, oh, there's DeAndre Hopkins making big plays. There's Kenyon Drake making a big play. And then there's, of course, Kyler Murray doing his thing. Yeah, great point. And just you talk about Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. Those guys inherited, you know, Super Bowl winning head coaches. Yeah. And- playoff caliber rosters immediately I have more respect for Kyler if he does achieve that level of notoriety because he's essentially built it by himself with Cliff Kingsbury so well I can't thank you enough for for taking some time to to visit with us here on the ROTV podcast follow Bo Brack at Bo Brack on Twitter Bo Brack I should say the host the co-host of the Locked On podcast Bo it's been such a pleasure Likewise, man. Thanks for having it. Love what you guys are doing. Uh, I'm sorry for forcing Clancy upon your audience. (laughs) We look forward to it.